0: So if you have your Bibles with you today, we're going to be in John chapter 20 if you want to turn there or flip there or turn your screen on to or however you read God's word. Title of today's message is Empty and we're going to be looking at a part of the resurrection story where Peter and John find out that the tomb is indeed empty. I don't know if you follow the news very well, but this last week we lost a relatively famous author named Jack Higgins. I'm a guy that likes to read a lot of novels, and I've read some of his books. And he offered a best-selling novel called The Eagle Has Landed about a Nazi attempt to assassinate Winston Churchill. It was a fiction book, but it was still a pretty good book. And I was actually interested when I was reading about his life that he was often asked when one of his books would hit the New York Times bestseller list or he would be up for Pulitzer Prizes or anything like that, he, and the reporter asked him, how does that make you feel to be at the top of your game to be one of the most well-known authors in the world? And he had one word to describe it, empty. He said he really didn't feel anything about it. And I thought that's very interesting because this is a man who is at the top of his game, a climb to the pinnacle of success in his field, being on the New York Times bestseller list for weeks and weeks and weeks. And he described his feelings about it as being empty. I thought that was really interesting. And then I was thinking about this and thinking about this message and And beginning to outline it and thinking about being empty and and having that kind of success, but not really feeling anything about it. And I realize that sometimes I feel the same way. For three years, I focused on a single moment in time, the pinning ceremony for being a nurse, I worked hard, did all that clinical time, all that studying time, sleepless nights, long hours, traveling and working for free during the clinical time. And it was all gonna culminate in that ceremony. Then last December 12th happened and I'm standing on stage. One of my best friends is taking the box, she's also a nurse, she's taking that box with my name on it, removing it and attaching it to my shirt, declaring that now I'm a registered nurse. But do you know how I felt afterward about it? It wasn't some great f- thing where I was jumping up and down and singing and laughing and, or doing anything like that. I mean, I was grateful that school was over, but it was not really a mountaintop experience for me. There's a quote by Sir Edmund Hillary. If you don't know who that is, it's the first man ever to climb Mount Everest. For years he had prepared and dreamed of the moment that he would stand on the highest peak in the world. And so for years he planned on it. He trained for it. He he practiced survival and advanced mountaineering. And finally he stood where his dreams had led him. And in an interview after he accomplished what no one before him had done, he said, I got to the very top, to the very peak, standing there on top of the world and found out There was nothing there. He felt empty. So this morning, I want to talk to you about feeling empty. And I think that this is a subject that will resonate with with many of the people here. Because it's my suspicion that many people come in and out of church every week hiding a sense of emptiness within themselves. And many of us might be placing our hope and sense of self in the wrong things. And on this Easter Sunday, I'd love for Jesus to get a hold of our hearts and fix his condition within us. So let's read the, the scriptures this morning and see how that's going to happen. John chapter 20, verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciples, the one who Jesus loved and said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for their tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. They still did not understand from the scriptures that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. And Father God, I just ask, Lord, that you just take your word this morning and you use it to wash us. You use it to reorient us. You use it to instruct us, convict us, and empower us to live lives that bring great glory to you. Because it's only in living for you that we can ever be full. So help us to cast aside the empty things of this world and live for you in these last days in ways that resound in eternity. Father God, I ask this in your name. Amen. So this morning, I want to ask just a few pointed questions of all of us today. The first one is, what are we actually filled with? If, if God was going to put it all up here on a, on a big screen that says everything that fills us, what, what would it say? Because what it says here shows the second question. What we're really hungry for. What we're really looking forward to. What really fills us up in this world. And the answers to these two questions will tell us how and why some people may feel empty this morning. The person in this story that most exemplifies this idea of feeling empty inside is Simon Peter. Why do I think that? Well, think about where Simon Peter is in this story when this happened um, right after Jesus rose from the dead. Think about the week that he's had. After all, he was instrumental, probably right out in front of Jesus doing his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. He's seen miracle after miracle, heard teaching after teaching. He's been at the epicenter of this movement that Jesus is starting. But then, the Last Supper happens. And Peter proclaims his love for Jesus, his loyalty to Jesus, that he'll even die for Jesus. Only to have Jesus tell him that he, Peter, the rock that he's building his church on, will deny him and betray him. Then Jesus is arrested. Then think of what Peter does. Within about 10 seconds, he's guilty and then suddenly innocent of attempted murder. He tries to strike the ear off of a a servant and Jesus picks the ear up and puts it right back on. So he went from guilty to innocent in seconds. And then he, along with the rest of the disciples, run away and leave Jesus by himself to be arrested. Peter then comes back and he sits on the outskirts and watches Jesus as he's tried, beaten, and flogged. As he watches Three different people come up to him and say, weren't you with him? Aren't you from Galilee? Aren't you one of his followers? And he denies that he knows Jesus to everyone. The scripture strongly says that even in his last denial, he used some profane ways of saying, I don't know this man. And at the third time, Luke records that the Lord Jesus turned and looked straight at Peter. At the last denial. And then Peter remembered the word that the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. Imagine for a moment, being Peter. Put yourself in his shoes. The crushing guilt that he had to feel in that moment. It was one thing for him to be on the outskirts. It was one thing for him to be hidden in the crowd. But then to have Jesus look straight at you. This is a man who has had his entire world turned upside down. He has no hope and anything that he has placed his hope in for the last three years. Every hope, every dream, every aspiration that he had of Jesus coming into this worldly kingdom, and him kind of riding that train into having a position in that kingdom, it's gone, it's crushed, it's been whipped, it's been beaten, and now it's about to be crucified. Everything he has has been taken away from him. Peter was thinking he's taking that final step onto that mountaintop, only to have the entire mountain disappear out from under him, and now he feels like he's in a free fall, waiting for that sudden stop at the end. Peter's empty. He's as empty as the tomb that Mary tells him is empty. Remember that as we look at the other person in this story, the Apostle John. John is probably in his late teens here, maybe 18 years old. He's a favorite of Jesus. He calls himself the disciple that Jesus loves. And he, unlike Peter, followed Jesus along his entire route of suffering. From soon after his arrest, to his trial, and even to the the crucifixion. Jesus loved and trusted John so much that he put the care of his earthly mother with John and not one of his brothers and sisters. John is also crushed. The man he had pledged his whole life to is now dead. But then Mary comes with this incredible news. The tomb is empty. The tomb is empty. They don't know where Jesus is. John, along with Peter, runs to the tomb to look. The Bible even records that John beat Peter to the tomb. He was a young guy, could run fast. But I want, to tell, I want you to see the difference when they got there. Peter, having nothing left, being totally empty, having that, that soul-crushing experience that he's been going through for the last several days, ran straight into the tomb Knowing that seeing Jesus alive again was his only hope. But John, being much younger, ha- having not having necessarily gone through the same mistakes that 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 humiliation and, and humbling that Peter went through, just stopped and looked in from the door. What can we learn from these two men today? Well, the primary lesson. Is that we need to be empty. To see this, let's talk about John. John's running to the tomb. I think when he wrote that and made note in his gospel that he won that race, he did it with a smile, remembering his friend who had been martyred decades earlier. But he was very specific and honest about one thing he didn't run into the tomb, he stopped. He didn't run all the way in. He just looked at it from the outside. And it's my fear today that John represents many people in church. They may go to church every Sunday or a couple times a month. And I think many in our church today stop just shy of having the faith to believe in everything the resurrected Savior has done for us. And why is that? Because they're too full of our own ideas. We're too filled with the things of this world to trust Jesus, to empty them. When I became a Christian, the Brownsville and Toronto revivals were in full swing. They had wonderful music coming out of both of them. And the music was full of songs speaking about Jesus filling us up with himself. It was not it's still great music, but in my opinion, looking back on it, almost 30 years now, I think it put the cart before the horse. Let me illustrate this in an in a unusual way. When I was a teenager, I was into karate, competitive martial arts. And I loved martial arts movies. I loved watching Bruce Lee kick the snot out of like a dozen guys who would just stand there and let them kick them. You know, <laughs> It's the movies. You don't really see that when you're a kid, that they're just standing there and letting him do all this stuff to them. And I kind of thought that's how fighting went. And when I started getting into the competitive side of martial arts, I do tournaments like you see in, everybody's seen The Karate Kid? You see in that kind of tournament where you're doing point fighting. You sit there and you fight until somebody scores a clean hit. But in order, with the school I went to, in order to compete, you had to earn a spot by fighting your fellow classmates, by doing a, a couple bouts with them. You put the pads on and and go to it. And because of my love for Bruce Lee, my love for martial arts movie, I was a bit of a showboat. I loved the stuff of jumping straight up in the air and spinning around and heel kicking people and, and doing all that kind of stuff. but Really, in a fight, it looks great, but it has no practical use in a real fight. Because you do that once or twice, your opponent sees that, and they're just going to charge in as soon as they see you start to spin and just knock you flat on your keister. And I was doing that. We had to compete and win our spot in the tournament in our school. And you had to, in my school... Um, fight two different people that are in your class, and if you won both tourna- or both bouts, you got to go compete in the tournament. They were very, my school was very, very um, proud and wanting to have the best people in the tournaments. They wanted the trophies. The Townsleys, they were all champions in martial arts. My, my sensei was Roger Sanderson, the Sandman, because nobody would ever get past the first round before they put him to sleep. So they called him the Sandman. They were very much into wanting the best people out there to get the 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 trophies for everybody. And I did okay in my first bout. I won my first bout. My second bout, I was getting, I was just getting my my butt kicked, and my sensei stopped the bout. I was down two to zero. Third third hit wins, and he said, "I can't keep teaching you if all you try to do." Is some stupid move you saw in a movie. You, go, you have your head filled up with all the wrong things about the martial arts. I can't keep possibly teaching you anything if you're going to keep doing this nonsense. He said you need to empty yourself of all of that. Empty your mind of that junk and fight like I have ta- taught you and you can easily take this guy. You have what it takes. And he said that again. He said, just relax, empty your mind, and let the fight flow, and you'll win. Well, I took his advice, and all of a sudden I had won the match with three unanswered points. The moral of this story is I trusted my teacher. I let his knowledge, skill, and experience guide me into victory. And if we apply that to our master, Jesus Christ, And we apply that thought to our Christian lives. We need to trust our master in everything. And in order to do that, we need to rid ourselves of all the junk that this world has filled us up with that is contrary to the gospel. And one of the biggest things I think that hinders us in this day and age, that hinders us from being empty before God so that that he can fill us, is that we're too full of ourselves. We worry way too much about other people's opinions. You th- you're, you might be thinking, well, I, I don't think that's true. Well, look at social media. I mean, what is your Facebook page but a fan page you set up for yourself? Right? Pretty much what your Facebook profile is. And I, I have one. I'm not, I'm not talking down to you. I understand. But if you think about it, do you post pictures of how you look when you first wake up in the morning? Do you show off your wrinkles or fat rolls to everybody? Do you talk about the time that you miserably failed on your Facebook page? No. Most people just put all the good stuff on there. And even though it's not really you, And this is just a symptom of the greater problem that we're so filled up with ourselves and the things of this world that Jesus has very little room to move. You know, I have a bottle of water here. It's 10 fluid ounces. The reason that Jesus has a problem filling us is because nine fluid ounces are filled up with our stuff, giving him only one ounce to fill. And then we ask why Jesus doesn't do anything in our life. This is why we have to empty. Jesus can't fill a container that's already filled with something else. And this is why our prayer in this day needs to be, Jesus, empty me. Do whatever it takes to humble me. Imagine praying a prayer like that to God. You want to hear, know a, a prayer that God will answer? That's one that he'll pray. Lord Jesus, do whatever it takes to humble me so that you have my entire heart, my entire mind, my entire soul. Then we can be like Peter. Peter ran all the way in to that tomb. He didn't stop short to make sure it was safe. Even though it seemed like he was losing the race, he continued to run straight in to what Jesus had for him. You know, my track coach once told us, you can't think you're running a 100 meter dash. You got to think that you're running a 120 meter dash. He said you should still be at full speed 10 meters past that finish line. The reason people lose races is they stop running too early. And that, I think, is, has a lot to do with what's wrong with the church today, is that we've stopped running the race. Part of the American dream is a long and prosperous retirement. But really, that's not the gospel. And I want to emphasize this this morning. We're not living in a time where a Christian retirement is a possibility. Once you stop moving in the Christian life, you immediately start to slide backwards. You'll immediately allow things into your heart that that normally you would run uh, away from. That's why we need to run. You might think, well, I only have 10 years left, 20 years left, but we need to run like we have 50 years left. We need to run for our families. We need to run for our communities. We need to run for your friends. We need to run for our church. We need to run, run all the way, straining, waiting for that finish line tape to be broken by our chest and keep running until we feel Jesus' arms around us. We need to take a page from Jesus' life. He didn't stop hanging on the cross at five hours and 45 minutes. He was there the entire six hours and then ran into the arms of his father saying, it is finished. Let me give you one more example from the Bible. The apostle Paul preached more, suffered more, did more, wrote more, traveled more than any of the other apostles, probably any two or three of the apostles of his time. And at the end of his life, facing Roman execution, Paul wrote this to Timothy, his son in the faith. In 1 Timothy 4, verse 6, he says, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, not only to me, but also to all of those who has longed for his appearing. I want to focus this morning just for a moment on that phrase, drink offering. A drink offering in the Old Testament was made of the finest aged wine. It wasn't something that just came out of the vineyards. This was the good wine. It was never, a drink offering was never performed during a burnt offering or a guilt offering because those had to do with separation from God. Those had to do with with redemption and, and making us pleasing to God in the Old Testament. It was done during a fellowship offering with God and it represented, Lord God, I pour everything, my best, out to you. And may you find this acceptable in your sight. It was a celebration of relationship with God and pouring ourselves out as Jesus poured himself out for us. It showed our utter consecration to God Almighty and said, Lord God, it's all about you. I accept no worship, no praise, no adoration. It all belongs to you. A biblical example of this idea of a drink offering was the count of King David in his desert stronghold after the Philistines had taken his hometown of Bethlehem. In 2 Samuel 23, it says that David at that time was in the stronghold and the Philistine garrison was at Bethlehem. David longed for water and said, Oh, that someone would get me a drink of water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem. So the three mighty men broke through the Philistine lines, drew water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem, and carried it back to David. But David refused to drink it. Instead, he poured it out before the Lord, saying, Far be it for me, Lord, to do this, he said. Is it not the blood of men who went to risk of their lives? And David would not drink it. Now, if anyone had a right to ask anybody to do that kind of thing, it was David. He was the head of the army. He was God's anointed and appointed king. But still, even despite all of that, David never wanted to accept that kind of adoration or even worship from his men. And instead, he took that water and he poured it out before God as a drink offering saying, even though I want and desire this water, it's the best water, it reminds me of home, it's it's one of the best wells in this area, I can't accept this. Because it's an act of worship from my men. And only you, Lord, are worthy of their worship. Therefore, I pour it out before you. And throughout all of his experiences in the wilderness, prior to ascending before the throne, David had learned to be empty before Almighty God. And if you want to be a person after God's own heart like David, if you want to live a life that is empty of this world, we need to put away all selfish desire. We need to put away any desire we have for fame, of being liked or being popular, in the ways of the world, be willing to be emptied for our king. Let your life be poured out like a drink offering and see what God will do in your life. The final point and the most important for today is there's one more thing that was empty. And that is the tomb. What did Peter and John run into? An empty tomb. Jesus has risen. Come on, hallelujah. Jesus has risen. Jesus is the ultimate example of being poured out and empty before God. He had no plans for himself. He had no desire for worship. He uh, he had no desire to to be lifted up on this earth. He wanted his life on this earth to reflect his Father in heaven. He emptied himself of everything possible so that you and I could come in to the fullness of God. And if we allow God to empty all the junk that we have placed before him, in front of him and do in spite of him, then Jesus' last instructions to us will be made reality in our lives. Let's all rise. So close your eyes for a moment as I read Jesus' final orders to us. It's called the Great Commission. Matthew 28, verse 18, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the very end of this age." And Jesus, we just come before you admitting that we are a needy people. We live in, in, in such an age that it just seems like the entire, everything in creation is intending to fill us with everything that is not pleasing to you and is not healthy for us and is, is spirit crushing, Lord. Father God, I just pray, Lord, that you give all of us the desire to say, Jesus, I need you to search me and know me. Point out any wrong way within me. I want to live a life that is filled with you and you alone. But I need to be emptied of the things of this world first. So Jesus, I ask that you place that kind of heart within each one of us, Lord, that we will live lives completely empty of everything in this world so that we can shine your light the brightest in these last days. Let us commit this Easter morning to be empty vessels that he can fill, free from the love of this life and willing to be used by him even unto death. Lord Jesus, we pray this for your glory and for your honor. Amen.